Okay, if you could uh, be finding your way back to your seats again. Uh, we're going to have plenty of time to uh, chat after the meeting, and we've actually even got a picnic together after the meeting, um, which Emma will tell us about at the end. But lots of opportunity to catch up with each other. It's good to say hi. Um, it's so good to worship God together this morning. Thank you, Taylor and the band, for leading us so well, and the people serving on the sound as well. So good to be able to come into God's presence and really hear from Him and, uh, and see his gift, the gifts of God working as well. That uh, uh, tongue or heavenly language that uh, Ben brought, then just the interpretation of that from Jody. Fantastic. Okay, just want to welcome everyone again to our meeting this morning. My name is Mark, and I am one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. And if you're online as well, great to have you join us that way as well. We have been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians this year. As I've been preaching, we are in chapter 2. And there are so many wonderful and life-changing truths to be found in this letter. We haven't been rushing as we dig for the treasure. And this week we are focusing in on Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. But we're going to read the first 10 verses of that chapter uh, for some context to begin with. So I'm going to read from the NIV. The words will also appear on the screen. Which says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that last verse we're going to focus on. For God, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul has been outlining his gl the glorious gospel. It's not his glorious gospel. It's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ. He's reminded us of the desperate situation we found ourselves in. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were completely helpless to do anything to fix ourselves. But then he tells us that God made us alive in Christ. He raised us up and he seated us with him in heaven. And Paul says it's all his doing. It's all Christ's doing. No one can boast. No one can say they earned it. It's a gift of God. And so now Paul says, and we are his handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I wonder what sort of handiwork, or workmanship, as some translations would put it, what sort of handiwork would we expect God to produce? What would workmanship would God produce? Well, he's God. So of course we would expect it's going to be good. 
It's going to be good. It's not going to be a shoddy piece of handiwork like some people would produce. When I was at school, I had to take a class which was, was named at the time Woodwork. I don't know what it would be called today. It would just be called, it would probably be called something like technology or something. But we, we called it Woodwork. And um, I was terrible at it, absolutely terrible at it. And for our final exam of the year, I had to produce a wooden pencil box which, to be honest, was a fairly simple piece. We've got a picture uh, of it. That's, that's pretty much identical to what I had to make in my exam, uh, in my woodwork exam. It wasn't going to be too difficult. We'd done it before in class. And you know everything was going OK until right at the end when I decided to take a chisel. And I thought, you know, I could just do with shaving a little bit more off this. And my hand slipped, and the box just the wood just split all down. The whole box just split into two, um, and not the way it should split. And that was it. And I had no more time. And I had like one minute left. And the teacher said, "Please submit your handiwork." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no!" And I remember this walk of shame to the front of the class as I handed it in amongst everyone else's amazing, in my eyes, looking uh, pieces of uh, craftsmanship. Uh, it wasn't a good piece of workmanship. Let's take that off. It's giving me nightmares. Um, <laughs> God is not going to produce something like that. He is God. Everything he creates, he, he looks at it and he goes, it's good. It's very good. Look at the early chapters of Genesis. He creates something out of nothing. And he, sa and he looks at it and he says, it's good. It's very good. Here's the question, though. When we look at ourselves, do we consider ourselves to be God's handiwork? Do we look at ourselves and say, I am God's handiwork? Fairly early on into becoming a Christian, we used to, uh, when I was just becoming a Christian, we used to sing a song in church which was called, He Brought Me to His Banqueting Table. I think, we've, I think people have sung it here. Some people will know it here. He brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. And it had a line in it. And the line was this, you do all things well, just look at our lives. And I used to struggle to sing that song. I used to especially so struggle to sing that line. You do all things well, just look at our lives. Because I was just really aware of things in my life, which I wasn't happy about. Never mind God. I wasn't happy. In fact, I would say before I became a Christian, I was probably happier with myself than I was after I became a Christian. You know, I'd become fairly self-confident as a teenager, and then as a university student, I'd kind of combined that self-confidence with, with a kind of spiritual arrogance <laughs> that came along in thinking that I was going to be God's answer to everything. You know, all the problems in the world, everything that needed doing in the church, in society, you know, now I was a Christian, God was going to use me, it was going to be amazing. I was the man for the job. And, uh, you know, before I got married, I think I've said this before, before I got married, I figured that anyone who married me would be getting a good deal. <laughs> because I was going to be a great husband, you know, because I, you know, I just was. That's just the way it was going to be. And... <laughs> I did marry Debbie at the end of my studies before getting a job as a high school teacher. 
And those first few years of married life soon showed me I was nowhere near as great as I thought I was. Work was tough. Married life was tough. And both of those things drew out things in my character which I was not at all proud of. So then we went to church and sang, you do all things well, just look at our lives. And I was just like, oh, really? I don't feel my life's reflecting that. I don't feel my life's reflecting. If that reflects how well God does things, I don't think that's showing up too well on God. And yet here we are. Paul says we are his handiwork. God's skill, God's artistry is shown in our lives. What are we to make of that? What are we to make of that? I wonder if anyone else would identify with some of those thoughts and questions. The first thing that we have to realize is that God's wonderful creation got completely spoiled by sin. Usually when a craftsman, craftsperson, creates something, they start with pretty good raw materials. If you're gonna make a table, a, a good crafts, craftsman might source the best maple wood or mahogany or whatever it was to create and craft this amazing table or creation. But God started with some pretty appalling raw materials, really, if you look at where we were at. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Every part of us was spoiled and tainted. All we were good for was wrath, for destruction. It would be like taking a piece of wood which was kind of all gnarled and knotted and it got nails in it and splinters in and it's just this, this you know, ugh, no one would look at it twice. Everyone would think, let's just get rid of that. God took that and just look at what he is producing, what he has produced, what he is producing because he still is at work in our lives. He's worked on us to the point where we are able to do the good works that he has prepared for us to do. We couldn't do that before. Psalm 14 and verse two and three says this, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. God looks down on the whole earth, any who seek God, any who understand, and he says, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. God's looking down from heaven, and it's as if he's saying, what kind of raw material do I have here? What can I use to work with? Have you got anything good that I can work with? The answer is no, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. And yet he has worked on us. He has worked on us, the most unpromising of people. He's taken unbelievers and he's turned them into believers. He's taken sinners and he's turned them into saints. He's taken rebels and he's turned them into worshipers. He's taken the greedy and he's made them generous. We could go on. He's changed our hearts. And, and sometimes we only need to spend time with, with people who don't believe and we talk to them and we soon realize actually there is a difference. There is a difference in our attitudes, in our hearts, in our minds. We're going to the UK 
uh, on holiday, on vacation shortly to visit friends, family. During the time we're there, um, there's a leaders conference um, happening in the UK for our group of churches. Um, Terry Virgo, who's visited here in the past, he's speaking at it. Nikki Gumbel, who heads up Alpha, he's speaking at it. There's going to be times of worship uh, and there's going to be times of prayer. It's going to be over, um, over two, three days. And uh, when we heard about this conference, we said, oh, do you know what? Let's see if we can reschedule some of our plans. You know, we were going to be seeing family on these days and family here and friends here. And we just thought, maybe we can just tweak things a little because we really want to get to this conference. We really wanted to be there. And we managed to do that. And uh, we're really looking forward to going. Now, if I said that to people who hadn't had their hearts changed by God, that that's what we were going to do with our vacation time, they would think I was crazy. They'd say, why do you want to go to a church conference when you work for a church the whole time? Just take a break. Just don't, don't, you don't want to be doing that work stuff. But it's not about a job. It's about God. It's about us worshiping him. It's about us being encouraged by him. No one told us that we had to go. No one told us that we should go. Yet God's done something in our hearts which, which means we want to go. And many of us will be able to exp- know similar th- situations where our desires are to do something and other people will just go, that's crazy. Why would you want to do that? Even be here on a Sunday morning. The sun's out. You know why do you want to be here on a Sunday morning? No, God's put something in our hearts. Now, of course, what I said earlier still stands. We can be very aware of the things in our lives which we're not happy about things that we struggle with. But even being aware of that is a sign that God is at work. Before I knew God, I was quite happy in my sinfulness. I didn't think there was anything wrong with any number of things. I didn't think there was anything wrong with going out and getting drunk on a weekend. I didn't think there was anything wrong with having sexual relationships with people. I justified my anger and my revenge on people even by just thinking, well, they deserve it. And I did do some of those those things. I did take revenge on people. I'm ashamed to say. I thought it was okay. I was quite happy with myself. I still thought I was a pretty good person. But once I knew God, I became hyper aware of areas in my life I knew I needed to change. And I knew I couldn't change them. But God could. And God has changed them. And God is changing them. He continues to change them in me. He continues to change them in you as well. That's what he's doing. We are still on God's workbench. We're unfinished. We're an unfinished masterpiece. God is still sanding things off here and there. He's still chiseling away at us. But unlike with my handiwork, he's careful enough not to split us in two as he works on us. His handiwork might be painful at times, But as he shapes us, uh, molds us, smooths away our sharp edges, he's doing something in us. He's a loving craftsman. He wants us to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says, We were predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. He's shaping us to be like Jesus. That's the model that he's working to. Christ is the template as God shapes us and molds us. And our response to that needs to be, oh God, please speed up that process. 
speed up that process because we're aware of what he still needs to do. And he will. He'll keep doing it in us because he's shaping us for a purpose. He's shaping us to do good works. So we keep submitting ourselves to his workmanship. We keep saying, yes, God, work on us. We're we're on his workbench. How do we do that? Well, God uses the tools which we've been looking at over the weeks as I've preached, as Joe and Gary have gone through the formation series. He, He works through the scriptures as we read them and allow them to work in our lives. He works through prayer. He works through filling us with his Holy Spirit. He works and changes us through us going through difficult circumstances, testing times. He changes us through preaching as we submit ourselves to it, as we allow God to speak to us through it and then begin to apply it to our lives. God has taken hold of us and he's using and shaping and molding us in all of these ways. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, you are our father. We're the clay. You are the potter. We're the work of your hands. He's shaping us. He's changing us. He's molding us. And Philippians 1 verse 6 says, he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. He will carry it on to completion. You need to be confident in that. God's at work, whether you see it or not. You might just feel the pain. You might just feel the abrasiveness of the sandpaper that God is using on our lives. I think, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. God's doing something. He's going to continue to do it. He is a good craftsman. He's the best craftsman. And the purpose of God's work is that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, before we get into this, we just need to clear something up because Paul has already just said in verse 8, he says, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works. And now one verse later, he said, uh, God is, uh, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You think, hang on, Paul, you, are you schizophrenic here? You, you, one verse later not by works, and then we're created to do good works. It can be very confusing. Many people outside of the church think that being a Christian is all just about being good. It's just about being good. Oh, good people go. They, they, they're, they're the ones. I, you might have heard people say, oh, I'm just not good enough for that. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. That's a great place to start. It's a great thing to realize to start off with. No, we're not. We have to be convinced that it, that's not what it's about. We can't boast about anything. Earlier on in Isaiah 64, in verse 6, he says, all of our righteous acts, that's good works, all of our good works are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. By the way, he's not talking about a car mechanic's rags. He's saying that all of our righteous acts, they're unclean, they're even repulsive to God. And those are the things that we think we're doing well in. Those are the things that we think we've we've got sorted in our lives. All of our good deeds, all of our righteous acts, they're like filthy rags. We have to realize it's not about our good works to gain favor with God. It's about Jesus' purity and goodness, which he then imparts to us. We're never going to be good enough to be accepted by God on our own terms. But once we've accepted that, once we've understood, actually it's all about Jesus. Actually on the cross, 
Jesus was punished for our filthy rags. He received everything that was due to us. And he gave us his goodness. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us his favor. We can stand in that. We can be accepted by God because of Jesus. Once we've understood that, once we've understood that, we have to quickly realize there are good works which God has planned for us to do. There are good works. If we don't realize that, we fall back into the trap of thinking, oh, we can just kick back, we can relax, we can just enjoy God's grace. We don't have to do anything. It's great. Just enjoy God's grace. And actually, in our current Western society, that's the error that we're more likely to fall into these days. The good works aren't the cause of our salvation, but they are the product of our, our salvation. If God's at work in our lives, we should expect to see these good works coming out because a miracle has taken place. Before it took place, actually, we couldn't do good, work, good works. Anything good that we did was always tainted by something. It was tainted by our pride or our selfishness or whatever it was. You know, I, like me, I did, I did some good things, and I thought I was amazing, and I really wasn't. You know, now we are able to love God and do good and love others, and we have to believe that we are able to do that now. We have to believe that that is possible. Because lots of people go, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to change. I'm always going to keep making the same mistakes. I'll never change. A leopard can't change its spots. Well, that's true. That, that's actually a verse in the Bible. We can't change ourselves. But God can. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. You might say, well, oh, okay, maybe others. Maybe God can change others, but not me. Really? Really? Are you defying the Lord God by saying, you can't do it in me? I'm too difficult a case for you? I mean, you might think that's a pretty humble response when you say, oh, no, no, I, I can't be changed. Actually, it's pretty arrogant to say God could never use me. Why could God not do that? He's God. Some of us need to get out of a slave mentality. We've already heard about the Hebrews from, from Gary early on, but in many ways, they, they came out of slavery. They came out of slavery, but in many ways, the slave mentality didn't come out of them for much of the time. They, they could only often think in terms of defeat and failure. When they came to a difficult place, often they grumbled and their heads were down. And they said, oh, do you know what? Let's just go back to Egypt. Let's eat cucumber sandwich. It was so much better in Egypt. No, it wasn't. Life was so much better in Egypt. Well, you just brought us out here into the desert to die, Moses. God said he was going to take them into the promised land. They went to scope it out. They came back. Oh, there's giants there. There's giants there. We can't do anything. Oh, they're going to devour us. It's going to be terrible. We can't do it. God was angry with them. God was angry with them. It wasn't about them being humble. It wasn't even about them being realistic. It was about they weren't believing him. They weren't believing him. They weren't believing what God had said he was going to do in them. We, we can have that defeatism in, the, in us. We can have it in us. We can't do it. We were created in Christ to do good works, which God has planned for us to do. We've got to remind ourselves of that. We've got to remind ourselves what God's already done. 
God tried to help the Israelites with that. He set up times of remembrance for them, to uh, Passover, to, to remind them how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea. They, they, they recounted it every year. He said, just remember all of these things. He did miracles in their lives, but they forgot. And they didn't believe what he said he was going to do in the future. Let's not do the same. Don't say, oh... Oh, but I've got this habit and I just keep struggling with it. I'll never be free. I'll never change. Listen, God's taken you from total unbelief to belief. He set you free. Look how far he's already brought you. Look where you were in your life. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Nothing's too difficult for God. We might discount ourselves because we've come from an unpromising background. Maybe we feel, well, we weren't educated. I'm not educated. I struggle to understand things. Maybe we struggle with an other, some other sort of disability, things which you feel, oh, it's just going to hold us back. Listen, God can overcome all of those things. All of those things. God used people with speech impediments to speak to kings. He used uneducated fishermen to bring his gospel to the world. Don't think God can't use you. Don't think he can't. That, that way of thinking does happen a lot in Scripture. We see it a lot. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called by God. We read about it in Jeremiah chapter 1. He said, God said this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. How many of us would like to know what God's call on our lives was that clearly? I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I knew you before you were born, before you were in the womb. And I've set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. That's what he said to Jeremiah. And yet Jeremiah responds, Oh, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. We read on, God says, don't say that. Don't say that. I'm with you. Don't, don't come up with all the reasons why I can't do what I say I'm going to do in you. Moses was called by God at the, at the non-burning bush to speak to Pharaoh and to bring his people out of Egypt. He said, you're going to go and talk to Pharaoh. And Moses kept giving excuses as to why he couldn't go. Moses said, oh, well, what will I say if Pharaoh says this to me? And, and God answers him. Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? Well, God answers him. Moses said, oh, I've, I've never been a good speaker. God says, well, look, I'm going to help you to speak. And Moses goes, oh, oh, please send someone else. It says God was angry with Moses because Moses wasn't believing God. He was also gracious. He sent Aaron. But he was angry because he said, God, you're the Moses. I'm calling you. I'm with you. Oh, I don't know. I don't think I can do it. Let someone else do it. Now, you could say, well, Moses was just being completely self-aware of his anxiety and of his weakness. And there's good reasons why he might not have believed God because of what has happened to him in the past. Do you remember? Moses started off in the palace anyway. He was pretty confident in himself at that time. He made some faith decisions. He was going to be different. He wasn't going to just go with the way of the Egyptians. But he didn't handle it all that well at times. He killed an Egyptian when God didn't ask him to. 
And some of his people spotted him, and they called him out on it. So he ran away. He fled, and he hid in shame. He looked after sheep for 40 years. So when God came to him, he probably had all of these excuses. He was saying all these things, but really what was going on deep down, he was probably thinking, do you know what? I thought I could do that. I thought God was with me. I thought I've been there before, and it didn't go well. I tried it, and it went wrong. That's why he didn't immediately respond with a, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And that can be our response too when God asks us to do things. We might say, I've tried that. I've been there before. It didn't go well. Don't you remember God? And now I'm just kind of, I'm living with it. That's just the reality of the situation. I'm still following you, God, but I'm just, you know, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna put myself out there again. I'm not gonna do that again. We live with disappointment. We live with frustration. We just settle. Sometimes we even live with unforgiveness and bitterness. And we need to deal with it. Often it's just disappointment. I was believing you for this, Lord. I was all in, and it just didn't work out the way I thought it would. I know what that's like. When we were in Sheffield, we used to see many healings, many healings. I've talked about this before. Sometimes remarkable healings, which couldn't be explained uh, medically at all. So when the seven-year-old son of some friends of ours was diagnosed with leukemia, we joined with the church in praying for his healing. Every single week at our prayer meeting, we prayed for Dan and believed he would be healed. And at first it seemed like he had been. A combination of the treatment that he was going through, the radiotherapy, and God's supernatural power, and the scans all came back clear, and we rejoiced, and we celebrated with God. You, those prayer meetings and those worship times were amazing. Yes, God, you are so good. And then the following year, the tumors came back and they spread. And so we said, oh, we're going to pray. We're going to come before God. And we prayed fervently again. But this time, it didn't go away. And Dan died at eight years old. And there were many emotions. <laughs> it's still are. There were many emotions. There were many questions. And we didn't know the answers. We don't know the answers. But the temptation for us as a church was to say, we're not going to go there again. We're not going to believe for healing again. Maybe we'll pray, but we'll, we'll not really believe that God's going to heal. We might say, oh, well, he can. But we're not really going to go all out and say, God, we're believing this. We're really in faith. No, no, it's too painful. Too painful. You know, we had to be honest and own that as a church. We had to name it. We had to say, look, this is, this is where a lot of us are at. We're struggling. We're struggling in our grief and our frustration and our questions. We owned it. But we said, look, do you know what? We're not going to hold back from believing God. We're not going to hold back from believing God's word. I mean, and God doesn't say he's going to heal everyone. We have to understand that. But we're not going to hold back. We're not going to hold back from trusting God. Moses has to put his previous failure behind him and believe God. I believe God's speaking to some of us here and he's, he's saying, I want you to do the same. It might be different things for different people, but the root is the same. You've had past experiences and they have burned you and you've been hurt and you've been damaged and you've said in your heart, never again. 
Some of you have verbalized it. You've said it, and you've said it out loud. And there's power in those words because those words have become a chain for you. God wants to break that chain today in the name of Jesus. He wants to break it. Chains need to be broken to release us into all that God's got for us and all that he's planned for us. Because disappointments and failures, they can hold us back. And God wants you to walk into the works that he's prepared for you, prepared in advance for you to do. That's what he's wanting. You know? And we can fall into, we can fall into traps on different sides. We can, we can get all ambitious and we can just think, oh, you know, I, I could do things, I could do a better job than they're doing it and all of that. We, we don't want to do that. We also need to resist temptation to just do works because we feel there's a pressure to do them. Well, if no one else does it, if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. Look, we've got to ask ourselves, are these the works that God's prepared for you in advance? Or are you just doing it because there's some pressure or expectation? If you do that, that's just going to cause you stress. But on the flip side, there's people who are clearly gifted and anointed in an area, gifted by God, and they discount their gifting. I've known people who've got a real teaching gift, and they say, oh, I don't want to teach. You've got such a gift. People who've got a real gift of encouragement, oh, no, 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 someone else can do that. Well, actually, no, they can't, because you've got the gift of encouragement. No one can do it like you can in God. God's gifted you in that. He's given you those gifts for the benefit of others. We don't want to be shrinking back. You know, an ideal church is where everyone is doing the things God's called them to and gifted them to do. No one's doing what other people should be doing. No one's refusing to do what God's prepared in advance for you to do. And no one's operating on the basis of expectation or ambition. Because all those things can torpedo church life. People wanting to do things God hasn't called them to do. People saying, I'm not going to do what he has called them to do. God is working in your life for a purpose, to do good works. And you know what? You don't have to sit and wait until someone else spots it. You don't have to think, oh, well, I I know I've been gifted in this, but if only a leader would see that and and encourage me in it. No, God's given it you to do. Just, Just do it. Yes, there's accountability. There's relationship within the church. We're not lone rangers. We work together. But just don't, don't just sit and wait. God's called some of us to step up and lead. Some of you to step up and lead, but you go, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. Because you have an idea in your mind of what a leader is. You've got a very narrow view of what being a leader is. Actually, people can be a leader in any number of ways. And some of you, some of you have, have, have rejected that. People have said to you, oh, you've got a real leadership gift. Oh, no, I haven't. I haven't. Because you think being a leader is modeled on, I don't know, me or Joe or whoever. No. God's called you to lead, some of you. You want to embrace that. Don't think that's God's model for leadership, so I've got to be like them. No, Christ is the model, not me, not Joe. Christ is the model. We are his body. All the fullness of Christ is given to us through different gifts, different people, different backgrounds. God's made the way, you the way you are for a purpose. He's crafted you the way you are. You are his handiwork. You are not a mistake. You're not a mistake. Some of, some of us need to hear that this morning. You are, not, you are not an accident. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You were created in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were created to do 
the works that God has planned for you to do. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't deny it with mock humility. Don't push past what God's called you to do in your pride or in your ambition. Believe God. Do what he's called you to. As we conclude, I'll just tell you this. When I first became a Christian, I was in my first week at university. And uh, I met a few people on the first day or two, and, uh, and, and they were Christians. They helped me lead me to, to God, in, uh, but they didn't even know at the time. And they said, uh, oh, are you a Christian? And I was like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. And, uh, but very soon, after three days, I went to a meeting, and I, I gave my life to Christ. Um, and, uh, and I, but I didn't bother telling them. <laughs> I just thought, oh, they already, I already told them I was, and now I am. It's all good. Um, so a few weeks later, I was asked to lead the equivalent of the InterVarsity group at the university. Like six weeks in, they were like, oh, we're transitioning leaders. Will you lead? I'm like, oh, I've only been a Christian for six weeks. I, don't, I can't say that. That's what I thought. I thought, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's like Moses. Oh, I can't do that. I'm this, this, then this. I went to my room where I had my keyboard. I had a keyboard in my room. I had some worship songs, and I, I, I turned to a worship song. I began to play a song which was on the stand. I don't think many people here will know it. But it went like this. When I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God well, I am alive. I want to give my life for something that'll last forever. Oh, I delight. I delight to do your will. What is on your heart? Show me what to do. Let me know your will and I will follow you. What is on your heart? Show me what to do. Let me know your will, and I will follow you. So I sang that, and I, I thought, I've got to say yes to God. Because I believe God's asking me to do this, and I believe God's going to empower me. And he put someone alongside me to co-lead with me. And I didn't know all of the plans that God had for me. He'd prepared them in advance. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know where the journey would lead. But I said yes. And I want to keep saying yes to what he has for me. And I don't know what those plans are either. But I want to pray that we all say yes to the plans and purposes of God. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? We want to follow trusting in you. Why don't we stand together and pray? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing that song. It's very easy. <laughs> but it's a, good, it's a good response song. So if you can sing it. There's other verses as well. We'll sing through them. But basically, that's the heart of it. And after we've sung it, I just want to pray for a few people. Because um, I believe God's wanting to break some chains this morning. Father God, just help us to respond to your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.
Come, Lord. Let's sing together. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life to something that will last forever. Oh, I delight. I delight to do your will. What's on your heart? What is on your heart? Tell me what to do. Let me know your will, and I will follow you. What is on your heart? Tell me what to do. Let me know your will, and I will follow you. I want to build a silver and gold. I want to build silver and gold in my generation. I want to build silver and gold while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Delight to do your will. What is on your mind? Tell me what to do. Let me know your will, and I will follow you. What is on your heart? Tell me what to do. Let me know your will, and I will follow. God while I am alive. I want to live my life to something that will last forever. Oh, I delight. I delight to do your will. What is on your heart? Tell me what to do. Let me know your will and I will follow. Tell me what to do. 
three different situations that particularly felt God was wanting to deal with and there may be more than three so don't discount yourself if you don't fall into these three this morning that God's at work but I specifically felt that there were some who just needed to know and receive and believe that God was still at work in them and would bring about to completion what he had begun there's some people who feel I don't, I don't see it anymore I, I think God has left me I, I don't think God's working in me anymore and God wants to say to you no that is a lie God will bring about to completion the things that he has begun in your life and the second category was people who think God could never use me God could never use me you have a sense even of what God might have called you to but but you say no God God could never use me and I believe God wants to counter that light as well and say yes I am with you I will use you as you submit yourself to me and the third category was people who have just shrunk back and settled and thought this is this is this is all this is what I've just got to settle for because of disappointments and hurt that, that are very real and very painful but you've said I'm, I, I can't go there again and whether you've thought it or whether you've said it God's wanting to break those chains He's wanting to break those chains. So if you, I just want to invite you, this will take some courage. If, you, if, if any of those three, or if you feel God has clearly been speaking to you this morning and you just need to respond, but any of those three things, can I just invite you to just come and stand here at the front? Because I want to pray. And then it would be great if you want for others to pray for you as well. But just take courage and come and step forward right now. So God's wanting to do something in you. He's wanting to break chains. He's wanting to restore things in lives. Restore faith and hope. fairly confident there's more than that <laughs> so I'm just going to give a bit more time it's okay it's a safe place no one's going to make you say anything that you don't want to say in person you're coming before God you're coming before God and you're responding to him well done others who make God may be wanting to call into his plans and purposes even this morning. You come too. You come too. 
All right. Could we just have some people in the church who are leaders in some way? And that's a broad term, so <laughs> you can come. If you feel you've got any sort of gift of leadership, just come and put your... Just come and put, I just want at least one person just to come and, and put a hand on a shoulder. If you don't want someone to put a hand on your shoulder because of COVID and things like that, that's fine. Just if you don't want them to, just raise a hand. Um, but others, just, just have a, a few people just come out. I just would love everyone to have a hand on a shoulder to be prepared for. Well done, Tim. Because Tim, I feel that you are one, hope you don't mind me saying publicly, I feel that you are one who has a narrow definition of leadership and God's wanting to say you are a leader. So well done. <laughs> All right, Father God, I just wanna pray right now. I wanna pray right now that you will come by your Holy Spirit and you will just seal in these people's hearts what you've already been speaking to them about this morning, been speaking to them about through the worship time, been speaking about through this, to, through this message. I thank you that you've been speaking and I pray that this would not be stolen away by the enemy, by lies and thoughts which will come maybe even as soon as we walk away from here. Lord, I pray you will seal this. This will be a time when you are clearly at work and this is a lasting moment, seminal moment. And Father God, I pray that you will break the slave mentality in people this morning. That sense that God could never use me. I'm never gonna amount to anything. I pray God, break that lie in the name of Jesus right now. Break that lie. Bring freedom, Lord. And Lord God, I pray, I pray for those who've experienced disappointment and heartache and pain. And I pray, oh God, for the ability to trust again, to come and say, my trust, it's not even in people in the church, it's not even in friends, it's in you, oh God. My trust is in you, oh God. I've been hurt and that's real and people have done things and I've struggled and Lord I pray the ability to forgive, I pray you'll deal with bitter roots and even what that has come into, Lord God you'll deal with it and that might need conversation later on in some circumstances but God deal with it in Jesus name, Lord God that we can trust again.